0: Good morning, New Life Manitou. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Today's a special day because it's the Sunday before. We're going to do kids camp next week, uh, starting tomorrow, right here, 1030 We'll have kids in here. Thank you all so much for your giving, especially those of you that give uh, regularly and reoccurringly. We are putting on this kids' camp for free to, for the kids who attend because of your generous giving, because of so many of you who volunteer. And so, after this service today, right here, we'll have a meeting about kids' camp for all the volunteers. Anybody that wants to help out, uh, stick around. About ten minutes after the service, we'll have a meeting, and then we would love to have your help. We're going to transform this sanctuary into like kids' zones and have little big animal cutouts of different teams. We're going to have four different teams. What are they, Ashley? Squirrel, bear, whale, ladybug. ladybug. Thank you, Ashley. And a big hand, would you, do, you guys, Ashley, do you guys know Ashley? She's the, the brains and the muscle behind all, so many things that happen at New Life Manitou Springs, especially our kids' camp. Ashley... Thank you, thank you so much. A couple months ago, we were, as a staff, we were just exhausted from Christmas, I think, and we were just like, should we even do kids camp this year? Can we pull it off? And Ashley said, I can, I'll lead it, I'll lead the charge and we'll go for it and we'll get it done, so thank you. She's taking care of so many details. Will launch tomorrow at ten thirty right here, and we are accepting walk-ins. So here's what I want you to think: Think of somebody that has kids, and think of that person. If if you have their phone number, so you, if you know somebody and you have their phone number and they have kids, it is perfectly acceptable right now. So usually, you, I, you know, it's it's a no no to pull out your cell phone in church. But right now, if you want to pull out your cell phone and text them before you forget, if you know of someone who has kids, text them, hey, there's a kids camp happening tomorrow, all next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. They might be overjoyed. As a parent, we have four boys. Uh, as a parent, like it's week-to-week survival. And so a text right now might just mean the world to them. Like, oh my gosh, I have a plan for next week. Get them out of the house. And it's gonna be fun, and it's gonna be awesome. And here's something serious. It's gonna be really meaningful. We're gonna tell the kids that God loves them, we're gonna tell them that they are a work of art loved by God, the creator. A very simple message at this kid's camp. But I remember hearing as a little kid, little Joey Kirkendall, uh, fourth or fifth, I think it was maybe third or fourth, maybe the year between my third and fourth year, I remember going to a kid's camp. Although when I was a kid, it wasn't called <clears throat> kid's camp. It was called, do you know what it was called? Boot camp. No, it wasn't called Boot camp. What was it called? It starts with a V? VBS. Yes, it was called VBS Vacation Bible School. And I went and seeds were planted in my little heart about God's love for me. Now, I grew up in church, but a lot of church, just sitting in church, it went over my head. But when I went to that camp as a third or fourth grader, I was awakened for maybe the first time about a relationship with Jesus and that God really loved me and it it stuck in me. It was seeds planted, so I'm praying that. uh, Not just kids will have fun and it'll be awesome, but there will be real meaningful communication about how God loves us at this camp next week. So that's your announcement for today. Stick around today. We'd love to have you help uh, transform up here and downstairs a lot of moving of chairs and things and, and a quick meeting to follow about about 10 minutes after church today. But is anybody ready to study the Word of God? Yes or no? Okay, turn into your Bibles to the book of 1 John, not to be confused with the Gospel of John, but this is the 1 John that's at the very end, right before the book of Revelation. We have 1 John chapter And I'll preface that what we're going to talk about today is a challenge. Like oftentimes a sermon is challenging. This might be one of the most challenging passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's probably the most challenging passage of Scripture in 1 John. It's uh, somewhat controversial, so we'll lean into how we apply what we're about to hear and listen to. It's somewhat uh, seemingly self-contradictory, to what we just talked about last week. Like last week, we talked about loving your neighbor. And here today, John is going to say, hey, don't love the world or anything in the world. And so how, how do you work those two things together? We're going to talk about that. But this is a challenging piece of scripture. The title of today's sermon is a direct quote right from where we're reading here. The title is, do not love the world. Do not love the world. It's the first point. It's, sorry, it's the second point. It is the title of today's sermon, and it's a phrase we're going to hear again and again, and we're going to talk about and explain what this means. So would you stand with me as we read the text of Scripture? If you're able to stand, these words come from uh, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. John says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Everybody say, anything in the world. And then he says, if anyone loves the world. So we'll explain. Like, What is he saying here? We'll explain that. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Verse 16, for everything in the world. He lists things here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. One more verse. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does... The will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. God, we pray to you now. Christ, you are in our midst. You are here. And Lord, would you give us understanding to what it means to not love this world, but to love you, for our desires to be on you. I think of the heavenly banquet at the end of the age where you invite people to receive at your table and all of our desires, all of our appetites are ultimately fulfilled in you, the great creator. And so, Lord, may we lean away from the things of this world and lean into who you are and your deep love for us and how you fulfill the desires of our heart, the true desires of our heart. Though we praise you this morning, we open our hearts and attention to you. Though we humble ourselves and want to learn from this scripture, we pray this in the name of the Father, The Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people at New Life, Manitou Springs, (gasps) shout it, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Let me jump in with a story. Before I give you the story, I'll give you point number one, and I'm trying to be cute here. I'm trying to be silly. I'm trying to get your attention a little bit with how I've worded this first point so that maybe you'll chuckle and maybe we'll lean in and try to figure out, okay, what is actually going on here in this passage What is John actually saying to us? So here's point number one, and i got to say it the right way. What in the world is this phrase, anything in the world? So John says, hey, don't love the world or anything in the world. What in the world does he mean by that statement? What in the world is anything in the world? Are you following with me? Do you think that's a cute way to word it? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's silly. I think it's cute. It gets our attention to, to yeah, what, what does he mean by this? Did, did anyone hear that being read this morning? And you're like, wait, what do you mean don't love the world? Like, aren't, we, aren't we supposed to be people that love? Like, what do you, like what, That's my question. Like, What is he saying? What does this mean to not love the world or anything in the world? Let me tell you a story. It has has to do with our second oldest son. My wife and I have four boys. Uh, The second oldest, his name is Rowan. He was just up here. He's very smart. He's very literal. He is very, uh, creative. he's not even trying to be creative. He just thinks about things so differently than like anybody else in the whole world, not just kids his age, but like anybody. So like the way he thinks about things is very different. And so I asked him about this passage. We have a Bible time, uh, weekday every day. I spend 15 minutes with each one of my boys, which really adds up because there's four boys. But I get 15 minutes individual time with each boy. And I was doing our individual time, me and Rowan. And we flipped to this passage that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. And I said, Rowan, what do you think that means? And he gave me an answer. But let me let me Describe to you uh, Rowan's personality with three little stories. If I had a couple more stories, I could probably do like a 10-minute stand-up comedy routine. So I'm working on those other stories. But I have three for you. One of them is that my wife and the boys were in the minivan. Uh, this is probably a couple years ago. And the great thing about the minivan is the, the doors... <laughs> and you can get in the back, you can get in the front, you can load stuff, you can load kids, really easy. That's why families have them. So we have the minivan, and the hard part about a minivan is that kids, they can't really shut the door, and when they do, it kind of seems shut, but it isn't shut, and so they were driving, and it started beeping, beep, 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 beep. And Rowan says, Mom, why is the minivan beeping? And Erica's response was it's saying that your brother Max's door isn't shut all the way. And Rowan said, how does the minivan know where Max is sitting? (laughs) We were at a restaurant. Here's story number two. We were at a restaurant. Waiter comes by, tells us about dessert. He says, we have some incredible homemade brownies and ice cream. And Rowan raised his hand, which is a weird thing to do at a restaurant, but the waiter called on him and uh, he he said, why don't you just make the brownies here at the restaurant in the kitchen? And the guy was like, "Uh, we we do. And Rowan said, does somebody live here? (laughs) Because in his mind, the home was... Anyways... Um, you got to think like Rowan. Third story, and this one will lean into the, the, the how important it is to have examples. Uh, so we, we were at the Embassy Suites, uh, staying there, the whole family. Rowan and I got up early. We went down to the Embassy Suites breakfast. If you ever had Embassy Suites breakfast, it's wonderful. Where's Mark Wolf? Mark Wolf works there. They have the whole omelet bar thing, and there's a guy standing behind uh, the counter, and he's got all the stuff and all the eggs. And we get up there first, and we're first in line. The guy's, been drinking coffee since who knows when, getting the kitchen ready. He's all hopped up. He says, son, what can I get for you? I can make any kind of egg you want, any kind of egg at all, whatever you want. He flips his little spatula, catches any kind of egg you want. What do you want, young man? And Rowan looks up and says, I'll take a chicken egg. <laughs> and the guy was just like, he looked at him, he looked at me and I like, as if he had platypus eggs and rattlesnake <laughs> eggs back there. And so the guy was like, no, I'll cook your egg however you want. And then he gave Rowan examples. And that's very good to have examples. He says, I could make you a sunny side up egg, or I could make you an omelet, or I could make you a scrambled egg. And then Rowan said, oh, I'll take a chicken scrambled egg, please. And so he got it. So examples are really good. John gives us examples. He, he says, don't love the world or anything in the world, and then he gives us three examples as to what it is he's talking about, which is very, very helpful. So... In this uh, passage, I read it to Rowan the other day, like like two two mornings ago, and I said, Rowan, what do you think it means to not love the world or anything in the world? And he thought about it for a minute. He's eating his cereal, uh, honey bunches of oats, and spilling it all over himself. And he's just quietly thinking, and then he said, I think it means to not love people or places or God. And I was like, what? What? what, what, well, and he said, and, and this will probably make sense if you're thinking along the lines of Rowan. He said, well, well God is everywhere, and so he's in the world, so we're not, we're not supposed to love God or places or people. That's how Rowan interpreted don't love the world or anything in the world. Can you understand where Rowan's come, coming from? He's like, oh, that, that's what that means, is don't love the world or anything in the world. And so he and I got to have a little conversation where I said, well, Rowan, this is the Bible, and the Bible teaches us to love God, right? And he's pretty familiar as a nine-year-old about the Bible. He's like, "Yeah, that is weird that then that the Bible would say don't love God, don't love people, and don't love places." Like in his little mind, he was—you know—you could see the little wheels turning inside Rowan's mind. And we started talking about, well, what is the world? What is John referring to when he says, "Don't love the world"? And the Greek word for world—does anybody know? This will be your nerd alert of the day, nerd alert. So the Greek word for world is cosmos. Yes, someone got it back there. It's cosmos, which is also an English word, which, which on one hand means oh, everything that, that is, like the earth, the people, the places. It is all that, that is in creation. It's the heavens. It's the sun, stars, moon. It's the earth. It's the plants. It's the world, cosmos, everything. And on the other hand... Not only John, but some other Bibles, when they, some other Bible writers, when they use this word cosmos, they're actually talking about things that are not of God. They're talking about worldly things. They're actually talking about sinful things. They're talking about the world that is controlled not by God, but by the evil spirits, the presence of this world. They're talking about uh, the, the opposite of godly things when they use the word world. Because if, if you're like Rowan and you're trying to figure this out in your mind and it says, don't love the world or anything in the world, well then, like, what about people? Like, they're in the world, right? Well, aren't we supposed to love people? Doesn't Jesus say to love our enemies? Don't, didn't we just last week talk about loving our neighbor? Didn't we say that a new commandment I give you is what Jesus says? To love one another as Jesus loves. And by this, the whole world will know that you are my followers. Do you remember that from, if you were here last week, that's what we talked about. So then John says, don't love the world. Well, what does that mean? And he's talking about something different than, than the planet and the people that live in the planet, obviously. And what he is talking about is, it's very helpful that he gives us three examples So verse 16, here's the example. So he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Then he says, for everything in the world. And then he gives three examples. Oh, now I get it. He's asking me how to cook the egg, not what type of animal the egg is, like in Rowan's mind. Like, here's the examples of what John means by do not love the world. For everything in the world. And he lists three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the of life. These are the things John is talking about. Don't love these things. And there's a whole sermon I could do on these three phrases, but the gist is, well, the the lust of the flesh, the things that we desire, the worldly appetites that we have for the things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the things that we see and want, the greed that consumes so many humans, the pride of life, the things that are inside of us. The, the, the wanting of more, the thinking of ourselves better and bigger than we ought to, the not laying down our lives, but to, to our own selfish greed, appetites, desires, these are the things of the world. And John says, do not love these things, the things of the world. So this is point number two now. This is also the title of this sermon. Quite simply, four words, do not love the world. And now we have a better idea, I hope, as to what he means when he says that. We're talking about the things that are in the control of the evil one. We're talking about the worldly things of the flesh. We're talking about the kingdom of this world that is in contrast to the kingdom and desires and appetites for God. He says, don't love the world. Love God, but don't love the world. Love people, but don't love the worldly desires of this world. Worldly, secular, evil age is another way to say it. Remember last week, if you're here, we defined the word love because it's 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 being used in so many weird contexts. Uh, someone could say, "I love pizza." And what they mean by that is they like pizza, right? They want to devour it. All the cheese and greasy goodness and all the calories. Who doesn't love pizza? People love pizza because it's full. It's just delicious. You love pizza because it's good. It's, it tastes good and you want it and you like it. But John is not talking about that kind of love when he says the word love. He, when he, John, uses the word love, like love your neighbor, love God, he is talking about giving your life laying down your life for the service of something else, for God, for someone else. And so here he is saying, don't lay your life down for for the things of this world, for the desires of this world. Don't do that. Save your true love and devotion for God, his ways, and the people, the things that you should be loving. Now, This is very uh, opposite of what our society, our culture would say about what love is. Let me say this and and think about just how different this is than what the world would say. But sin, uh, love, I'll say it this way, love can be a sin if you're loving the wrong thing. There are times when love is actually not good. You could be loving the things of this world, the desires, the uh, worldly appetites, if you love that, then we would say well that 's not good. It is still love, but it 's not a good thing there 's a demand in this first John book, maybe like any, unlike any other book in the Bible that really demands you take a choice between two things. Think about if you 've been with us through this series, John talks about a lot about light and darkness, love and hate, and here he 's talking about the things of this world and the love for the Father. He actually says you can't love both the Father and the things of this world. He writes this in such a way that's very loving and kind. And I think before I'm gonna say what I'm gonna say in just a minute, I wanna say that as Christians, we don't hammer people with their own sin. We don't judge, let God do the judging. We are kind and we are loving. And John prefaces this passage about don't love the world or anything in the world. He prefaces it with this loving, kind reason for why he's writing. So if you're in 1 John, go back up a couple verses to verse 12 and just listen to this. Would you take a minute and just listen to the love gushing out of this letter as John is saying he's about to warn them not to love the world or anything in the world. And he, he prefaces it with just wonderful love. He says, I'm writing to you Dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know the father. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Listen to that love, that kindness. And then John goes into saying, well, don't love the world or anything in the world. There is a battle that we all know. I think if we, we look at society and look at where we are, there's a real battle going on, a spiritual battle, a physical battle, a real battle, a battle of society and, and, and worldviews. I think we're a church uh, right now. I just think, you know, as a church, we, we believe in Marriage between a man and a woman, and, and that's that's a very like, wow, the, the world out there is like, whoa, that's that let's they're they're ready to go to war because of some of those things that we would say. As as Christians, I think we would agree and say that uh, transitioning a gender will not lead to an ultimate happiness. And, and then we would even take another step, like a foundational step before that and say, this world, that we're, this life that we're living, it's not actually about happiness. The true goal is to not just go out there and get as much happiness and pleasure as you can. If you look at the text of Scripture, it has a lot more to say about giving up our life for others. It has a lot more to say about giving up your body, giving up your desires for the higher desires of Christ and seeking him first and foremost. Can anyone say amen to that? You know, I think about uh, these levels of desire and earthly desires compared to God's desires. I've worded point number three like this, that there are holy desires that conform us, that can conform us, or that do conform us to the love of God. I'll say it one more time. There are holy desires. Like, we, we have desires. All of us do, appetites. But there are holy ones, which actually conform us to the love of God. Listen to this passage. Listen to what it's saying and what it's not saying. Uh, verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2, he has just said, you know, don't love the world or anything in the world. And then it says this, if anyone loves the world. So when I first read this, I thought it was saying God doesn't love them. That's not what it's saying. Would you, would you look at it and, and pay a close attention to the word? So if, if you love the world, then the love for the Father. Is not in them. But what does that mean? Well, it means that if if you're loving the things of this world, the desires, the the earthly pleasures, your your greed, the lust of the eyes, the the, the lust of the flesh, if that's where you're at, then, then it's saying you don't love God and you need to choose between God and this world. You need to choose between the most holy things versus the things of this world. James says this, uh, uh, you can look at it later, James chapter 4 talks a lot about uh, being a friend of this world being a, versus being a friend of God. And you can't be both, you can't be a friend of this world and a friend of God. You can't love this world and love God. You can't be living for this world and living for God. There's a decision you need to make. I'm going to make a metaphor about um, athletes. Did anybody play uh, high school sports? Anybody, I see all those hands. Anybody play college sports? Couple hands, okay. I see that hand back there. Uh, and uh, I know some of you in here uh, maybe went on to a professional level of sports. I know Kelly did. I know, maybe there's a few. I think of John schelmer He's not competitive, but he does the incline. I asked him this morning, how many times did you do the incline this week? He said two and a half. He's 75 and he's doing the incline couple times a week that's incredible like i think about athletes so if you if you're in familiar with uh, athleticism you know that there's a real true joy that happens when you're competing at higher and higher levels and to compete at higher and higher levels what do you got to do? Most professionals say, you know, did you, did you just get there one day? It's like, no, I had to train. And there's something to, to be said about, you know, being born with some good genes. But everyone in sports that's at a high degree of competition will tell you they work every single day very hard. They're, they're day after day telling their body no so that they can train harder and harder and harder in order to achieve what, the, what they're achieving. And the, the greater goal, the greater joy in all of this is winning, is, is achieving those those high professional levels of athleticism, setting new goals, setting new records for the human race. Like those kinds of people, they'll tell you they have to always, they're always saying no to like eating junk food. They're always saying no to, to being lazy and sitting on the couch. They're always training and trying hard. And the metaphor here is, is that, You know, Paul uses this, that he trains his body so that he can say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of God. And I think about this quote. Let me give you a quote about um, just better desires. Like there's more holy desires. There's, There's saying no to the things of this world so that we can say yes to the things of God. Here's the quote. It comes from Maximus the confessor who lived in the five hundreds, and his, his 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 last name isn't confessor. It's that he was a. He confessed that Jesus was Lord, and he was actually tortured for that. And so he was known as a confessor because he believed in Jesus and confessed and wrote and, and spoke about Jesus. He gives this quote. So he's, he's often trying to talk about this world that we live in and the, the things, the desires of this world versus the true heavenly desires that are much richer in their fulfillment. And he just talks about the things of this earth. He says food, for instance, is not evil. Right? Of course not. Food's not evil. You need food to live, right? You need food to live. It's not evil. Nothing, nothing at all evil about food. But gluttony is. Childbearing is not evil, but fornication is. Money is not evil. Of course not. We need money to, to do things and to bless people. Money's not evil at all. But greed is. You know, Jesus says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Do you ever catch that? Some people just think, oh, Jesus said money's evil. No, no, no. Jesus said the Love of money is the root of all evil. So money is not evil, but greed is. Glory is not evil, like uh, being uh, honored and being uh, have notoriety, doing big things. That's not evil, but pride is indeed. Here's the last sentence. There is no evil in existing things, but Maximus the Confessor says, but only in their misuse. I think about this quote all the time, that there's... No evil in existing things, but only in their misuse. As I um, begin to close this sermon, I think a lot of you might be hearing me now and, and, and you might just think, oh, here's you know, another preacher saying, don't have any fun. That's, that's what you're, maybe you're thinking I'm saying. Don't have any fun. Joe's all about not having any fun. And, and what I would say is there's a deeper level of fulfillment in life beyond the, the, this world and its desires and appetites. There is a real deep pleasure in knowing God the Father. There's a real deep pleasure in following the ways of the Lord. You look at the Old Testament, I think of the longest Psalm, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 119, it, it, it talks about all this blessing someone has When they're walking in the ways of the Lord, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. Lord, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. And oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame. When I consider all your ways, I will praise you with an upright heart. And it goes on and on. This, this, this longest psalm in the Bible goes on and on and on talking about the different ways we receive blessing when we follow the ways of the Lord. So am I telling you, hey, congregation, don't have any fun. Whatever you do today, don't have fun. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a deep level of fulfillment when we walk with God that is greater than anything on this earth. Would you stand with me? The, the band is going to lead us. I asked the band to lead us. They can come up now, and communion servers, you can come up as well. The band is going to lead us in this song Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. This this lyric to this song is, is look at Him, look at His ways. Turn your eyes towards Him, and then this world, listen to these lyrics. This world will grow strangely dim think about that jesus is calling us into a higher fulfilled life in him so let's if you would take a moment we're going to pray and then i'm going to give you some instructions on receiving communion but lord right now we we come before you we thank you that you are the one who fulfills true life's desires that when we know you the creator we are fully filled with your grace, your glory in our lives. Lord, we, we praise you this morning. We, 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 we take a moment and we, we slow down. We take a moment to prepare our hearts to receive from you. I opened this service by praying and, and giving us this image of a holy, godly feast at the end of the age where we are invited to your table and you're giving us the desires of our hearts, the appetites that we have, the the, the longings, the loneliness in this world, the things that aren't right. It's gonna be fulfilled in heaven at this heavenly banquet, the metaphor of coming to your table and, and being filled with all of the desires we've ever had. But we praise you for that. We thank you for this image. And now, congregation, we're gonna receive communion. We, we believe in... Um, an open table. And so if, if you're in here, maybe you're a member or, or not of this church, um, you're welcome to come forward if you believe in Jesus. And this is not a declaration that we're celebrating. we got everything right uh, and, and we're doing just great. This is kind of a declaration every week that we come forward and say, Lord, we need you. We need to come to your table because we're hungry and we're lonely and we're lost. And we need your direction. We need your body and blood inside of us so that we might live, so that we might have your grace inside of us. So as you come through the lines, we're gonna come towards the center and work our way uh, to the the outer um, aisles and come back in. Would you just receive the elements and hold them? We'll all receive them in unison. But these are the gifts of God for the people of God. It's the body of Christ for the body of Christ. Come and receive. Turn your